last name is P-U-S-S-Y. I love my little pussy. I love her very much. You can look at my pussy, but please don't touch. La, 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 la. Well, good evening and welcome, friends, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, whether you're across town or across the globe. I'm your host, Karen Tate, and it is my pleasure to be bringing you Voices of the Sacred Feminine now in its eighth year. Well, we might be breaking a few taboos tonight, as you might have guessed, by tonight's naughty little opening cut by Celia called My Pussy, otherwise known as our cooch, sacred vulva, cunt of creation. I think we have to lovingly embrace these words and not let anyone make us feel ashamed. After we chat with Kathy Pagano, bringing us this month's cosmic story, advising us what the planets, moon, and stars have cooked up for us in August, we'll be chatting with married couple Mark Michaels and Patricia Johnson, and our topic is the secrets of spiritual romance, falling in love every day, hence the talk about sacred vulvas. And sacred sexuality is a big part of that. Uh, Besides getting into some talk about Tantra, we'll also be discussing the G-spot, use of sexual fluids in some traditions, orgasm. I'm also curious about what doctors used to call hysteria in the Victorian age and how that diagnosis was treated. And I'll ask Mark and Patricia if they might be aware of therapists who might still employ those techniques in their practices today. In tonight's What's the Buzz segment, I have two audio outtakes from my interview and the documentary Femme, Women Healing the World. What got left on the cutting room floor was pretty good food for thought, I think. Maybe even some ideas um, for us to live by. You'll have to tell me what you think after you hear and listen. And in case I forget, uh, you can access FEM from my website, uh, from the first page on my website, in fact, or you can uh, just Google it, FEM, Women Healing the World. But if you go to my website, uh, go there and you can download the film FEM for a small fee. I think it's like $4.99. Uh, it's really worth the tiny investment, and I encourage you to show it as a movie night, get your friends talking, because you know what? That's how we're going to change the world. And uh, I was also uh, inspired by some comments from Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, I'll be sharing those with you in the What's the Buzz segment, um, as well as a lunch meeting I had with a woman friend. I'll confide in you what thoughts have been swirling around in my head, getting those bees buzzing, um, and I will we'll do that after my talk with uh, Kathy, Patricia, and Mark. But just one small bit of housekeeping before I get to Kathy. Uh, please save the date. Uh, if you're within driving distance of Los Angeles or Orange County in Southern California, please mark your calendar for September 27th. I'm throwing a big party at the Goddess Temple of Orange County to launch my fourth book, Yes, I just had one in April for Goddess Calling, Inspirational Messages and Meditations of Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology. And I think the party was fun, a big hit. People were bursting at the seams. Um, I was so honored and that it was so well attended. Uh, you just don't know. Ever since I was a kid and I would throw king cake parties, I would always worry I was going to throw a party and nobody would show up. 
So it was so wonderful to see everybody there and having a good time. But this is my fourth book, an anthology of some of my top-tier guests from this show who have been on Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio, and some will actually be there as my special guests. So if you come, you'll get to meet them. Uh, So please uh, come, enjoy the free party, the drumming, the singing, the sacred dancing. Uh, I've arranged a wonderful evening on the theme of celebrating partnership. And I hope it will tickle your sacred feminine and divine masculine, your yin and yang, your cognitive and intuitive minds, and hopefully inspire you. And you know what? It's free. So why not come? Saturday, September 27th from 7 to 10, bring your drums and community spirit. Learn how we can offer an alternative to our patriarchal culture. But now, without further delay, because I know she has a class she has to get to, uh, here is Kathy giving us August's Cosmic Story. Kathy, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Well, it has been a pleasure. I have so enjoyed you, um, you know, and the Cosmic Story for these last few months. So tell us, um, what do we have to know about uh, what's coming up for August? Well, you know, the round of the year is so beautiful, and we just, um, we're just we pretty much at Lamas right now, even though we usually celebrate it at August, on August 1st, it really is celebrated up until the 6th, um, when um, the sun is at 15 degrees of Leo, which is the power gate of Leo, and, uh, and we begin to see the sun um, light slowly fading now. Um, you'll notice it gets dark quicker. And, um, and, of course, the Lamas is the first harvest. And so the big question in, in, during the sign of Leo is, what have we harvested? What do we bring in? How do we express ourselves? It's so interesting that the sign of Leo, which is ruled by the sun, um, occurs right as the sun begins uh, uh, its decline. Uh, once it gets to the, uh, once we get to the fall equinox, the sun goes into the southern hemisphere and the dark and the light, which was balanced at the equinox, um, becomes imbalanced again with more darkness than light. So we're in the last month and or so before, while the light is still greater than the darkness, but you will notice it begins to um, leave off quickly after this. So Leo, the sign of our creative expression, the sign of self-confidence, um, the sign of what Carl Jung would call individuation and self-awareness. Jung was a Leo himself, so I'm sure he picked that, you know, he picked this his own sign in, in that sense. But if the sun is our spiritual awareness in some ways, um, or at least a sense of identity, then yes, this would be the, the month in which we can say, oh, this is who I am and this is what I've created. Um, Leo is very much about how we... Um, express ourselves through our creations, whether it's children or just even play, but also any of our artistic um, creations. So um, here we are in this, in this beautiful sign of Leo, we're, and um, ruled by the lion or the lioness. And as Karen and I both know, we're, this is the month in which we celebrate the goddess Sekhmet. And especially this weekend, we'll be celebrating Karen who's going to come out to Las Vegas and we're going to be at the goddess temple. Um, Ooh, I can't temple. wait. <laughs> yeah, in Indian Springs, as you, we may have mentioned before, someone stole Sekhmet, but the Sekhmet priestesses um, have decided that she really went on a walkabout, 
and um, and she had things to do and people to see and places to see. And now that she's back, we're all going to be there to honor her um, returning to her home. But Leo and the lion um, are so connected in that sense that this is the month of courage and to shine brightly and to show the world our gifts. Now, the interesting thing this year is just, um, it was in July, but in Ju- I think it was July 16th, um, uh, the planet Jupiter moved from Cancer, where it had, it had been moving, it, it was in Cancer for a year. Um, Jupiter stays in a sign for a year. So, um, Wait, Kathy, 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 excuse me. Are, are you on a speakerphone by any chance? No, I don't think so. Am I sort of, um, am I originating? You, you know what, where you, uh, those last few words were a lot clearer. It was as if you were on a speakerphone or maybe the phone wasn't <clears throat> directly, you know, by your mouth. So, okay, um, there. You, How's that? You, you're, yeah, you're, you're much clearer now. Thank you. Okay. So um, because the sun being in Leo, the planet Jupiter has just moved into Leo for the first time in 12 years. And Jupiter represents um, the Father God, sort of like Yahweh in the Jewish tradition, the the Father God of Christianity. He was the main God on Olympus, the king of the gods, and he was also the the God of Rome, Jupiter. And... uh, he is a very, this is a very expansive archetype, archetypal energy. And in Leo, it's a perfect match. Um, because they both, they both like, they both like to play. They both like um, grandiose um, a, a gestures. They both um, love theater and ritual and art. And so for the next year, Jupiter will be traveling through Leo. And, um, the thing with Jupiter is Jupiter brings us enthusiasm. And if you look up what enthusiasm means, it means to be filled with the God spirit within. So this is the year for us to be enthusiastic about how we can express ourselves creatively through our work, with our children, um, and with each other. And um, the other thing that Jupiter invokes in us is sort of a reverent curiosity. It's like, what else is there to explore? Um, What can we do? Jupiter is like the lawgiver and the bard and the storyteller, and Jupiter helps us give meaning to life. So when we create something, it shows meaning, right? Mm -hmm. Um, When we write our books. It says, this is what I see life is about when we create art. It says, this is the artist's view of what, um, what life is. And so to me, it's very interesting because, you know, all the baby boomers, of which I am one, <laughs> um, have the planet Pluto in Leo, which is about evolution. Our job has been to evolve this Leo archetype, to take it to the next step. And Leo is about the king and the queen, about, I know Ava, the priestess Ava from Orange County Temple, talks about the divine queen, that all of us are queens. And so what does the queen do? Is it all fancy, you know, ball dresses and and dances and beautiful gowns? Or is it that we have a responsibility to our people to take care of them and each other? And so these are some of the questions I think that we'll all be facing how does our art serve our community? And since both um, Jupiter and Leo love, like I said, theater, ritual, and art, and creativity of all kinds, it's going to be so interesting to see 
I always how we use our creativity to bring about political change, cultural change. So maybe maybe people, there's going to be a sort of a new brand of activism, so to speak. Wouldn't it be great? Well, you know, I don't know if you're. Go, no, go ahead. I was going to say I don't know if you're old enough, but remember guerrilla theater back in the '60s. You remember people just um, doing art and and um, and theater to to um, bring people's awareness to what was going on, and so. Um, political activism is wonderful, but I'm wondering if we'll have more stories and dances and art that will wake people up to the reality of where we are right now. Well, you know, it makes me think about it makes me think about what Eve Ensler does too. You know how yeah. she, um, you know, gets people out every year, and you know they're they're dancing for. Uh, you know, to raise awareness about domestic violence, or I think all the time, where are uh, the the you know, and maybe I'm just not listening to the right type music or something anymore. But remember, in the '60s, you had all of these great bands who would sing about freedom and peace, and you know, getting rid of the Vietnam War. Uh, you know, the you know the Bob Dylans of the world. Um, you know. It doesn't seem like artists um, are doing that anymore unless I'm, like I said, I, I, I'm just, you know, living under a rock. Uh, but but that to me, that would be wonderful to, you know, start to hear some ballads and some songs that could really motivate people to get up and do something. <laughs> yes. Well, I agree. And in the 60s, it was wonderful. That was, that was the... Um, I talk, I've talked about the Pluto and Uranus when they came together to start a new cycle of revolution and evolution, and there's always social and artistic revolution during those times. And now that we have the square between the two of them, you know, there are people, but, but you know, because the media is so controlled now, back in the 60s, it was much more freewheeling. It was still new. I mean, we just got television in the late 40s and early 50s. So um, I think our... our the the, um, the bands and the singers who were who sang those protest songs they had more opportunity to get out there and um, influence us now the media just is full of really bad music and um, and made up bands but I but little by little some of my younger friends are really showing me there are those kind of protest songs but they're not getting the viability and that's why I'm wondering if maybe we we have to do it in our own communities instead of looking to a big national um, musician like Bruce Sting, um, Springsteen or Sting or people like that who do sing songs about this. Um, maybe it's about how we, how we in our own communities um, generate art to speak out to the world and to speak out to our neighbors about what's going on around us. Right. It will be right. interesting to see, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. so. You know, it could be a really fun story. It, it could be a fun time, really. You know, a, a time of, uh, of, of, um, I, I guess, richness. You know, as, as, as if people could throw their emotion, you know, in, into their art. You know, and at the same yes. time, it would help us evolve. You know. It's true, and as I said, the baby boomers, those born from around. 
1940 to about 1958, have the planet Pluto and Leo. And Pluto is all about evolution. So whatever sign it's in, it says this has to evolve. And of course, Leo is very much about entitlement and pride and power as well as creativity and graciousness and individuation. And so maybe some of us baby boomers will have gotten to the point where we think, you know, maybe I need to give my creativity to the culture, which is very much what Sunday's um, full moon is about. The full moon on Sunday is in Le- the sun is in Leo and the moon is in Aquarius. And so at a full moon, we become aware of something. And so you would say, um, I need to become aware of how I can use my creative expression, my Leo, um, to help the world, to help the group. Because, of course, Aquarius is the group energy. It's right. how we collaborate. It's how okay. we form communities. Okay. So, you know, this is this is a good weekend to meditate on what gifts do I have that I can give to the world. And especially baby boomers, you know, you know, we, we really have to leave behind that childish sense of entitlement and uh, become more responsible. And what we are or what we could be, uh, we can become wise elders, you know, wise women and sage men because our society so desperately needs some wisdom. And Pluto and Jupiter together and Leo can really, you know, drive us to become wise community leaders or advisors and counselors or storytellers. And the people need better stories. We have these destructive stories about the end of the world and one courageous individual saves everybody. Well, what about if we just told better stories about how we all got together and saved ourselves? There you go. There you go. Right? Yeah, and it it, it feels like, uh, I mean, I was actually just thinking about this today. It's interesting that you said that because it's sort of triggering um, some earlier thoughts from today that, um, you know, there's, you know, President Obama was out there, I don't know, sometime in the last week saying, you know, you know, these other guys, all they want to do is hate. And, you know, when I was thinking about that, you know, about how, you know, Fox News is always spewing hate or divisiveness and, you know, and all of these people, uh, you know, screaming about these poor kids crossing the border and, you know, all, all of the upheaval, you know, all of the fear, all of the division. And, you know, it, 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 and really, we, it, this could be so wonderful to counter all of that, you know, where we, yeah. you know, come together and care about one another and, uh, and share resources and share ideas and, you know, and, and show that, you know, we don't have to be so afraid, you know, we, there, there is a different way. Right. See, patriarchy's story is built on fear and control, right, and violence mm-hmm. and domination. And, and so we need a bigger story, and that's why I love astrology, because astrology gives us a heavenly... Are you there? Kathy? Uh-oh. Kathy, I don't know if you can hear me, but we lost you. Um, okay. All right, listeners, I think she realized that maybe she got disconnected, and I'm sure she's going to probably call us right back. So uh, let's give her a minute, and uh, wait, I think there she is. Hang on. Hi, are you back? I'm back. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, that's good. And 
okay, so what were you saying now? I was saying I was I was doing a reading for a young man who's a Leo. His birthday was Monday, and with a Pisces moon, and I so I told him a story about who he could become, and he got very excited. He thought this is wonderful because um, patriarchy gives us such narrow stories of who we are and what the what our possibilities are, and even when we step forward to try to change things politically, we still have a mindset of patriarchy where we have to have jobs and we have to do this and we have to have this kind of economy. Um, we, it's that dualistic um, patriarchal thinking that, that we're stuck in. And so when we look at the cosmic story or when we look at our individual birth charts, it tells us a different story. It tells us sort of the archetypal story. It almost gives us a picture of our face before we were born. What is that? Isn't that a Zen Cohen? What did your face look like before you were born? Or what is the sound of one hand clapping or something like that? Um, but that's, that's what astrology can do. It can tell us a bigger story. So that's why when I say, oh, this is a great year because now this, this energy of passionate curiosity, of enthusiasm, of generosity and abundance is in the sign of our individuation, our individual self-expression. Um, people will get can get excited about that and say, "Wow, what do I want to do? What's cooking in me?" Right? So and, much potential. Um, there's so much potential. We have. We are so creative. There's a group of people who had the planet Uranus in um, Leo. The people born from 1956 to 1962. Now Uranus is the great awakener and these people in you know are very creative. They're very original. And so when Jupiter goes over that, you know, basically it's about finding a balance between freedom and responsibility and and they're going to have surprises along the way and um opportunities show up for them because that's hmm. how the planet Uranus works. And then so, it's like so if all your bir- the opportunities if- so if your birth year was between, what did you say, 56 and... 1956 and 1962. And it doesn't, Pardon me? It, it doesn't matter what month you were born in? Pardon me? It doesn't matter what month you were born in? No. I okay. mean, I don't remember exactly when Uranus went into Leo at that in 1956, and I don't know right at the moment, I don't have my ephemeris, um, when it left in 1962, but if you have your chart and you look, um, and you were born within those eight years, those um, or six years, seven years, usually Uranus is in a sign for about seven years. Um, you will, and you see Uranus in the sign of Leo. You you're going to be hit with Jupiter. So you can imagine Jupiter, the lightning, you know, the the god who who carries the lightning bolt. And Uranus, which is sort of a lightning bolt in itself, you know, wow. affecting you. And, well, that's and interesting. So if you have innovative ideas, bring them out. Put them out there. Well, I was born in 57, so that uh, sort of directly affects me. So um, yes, my ears does. really perked up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, and this is an opportunity for you. You know, to opportunities should probably... Uh, depending on what degree it's at and when Jupiter gets there, you know, opportunities will open up for you and and surprisingly, in surprising ways, because um, Uranus always happens in a surprising manner. It sort of shakes us up. It says, oh, you're too stodgy. 
when Uranus is, is affected in our charts, it's, you know, it's like, okay, you've gotten way too complacent. Let's shake you up a bit. <laughs> and well, then you're complacent, and you might already be going. And so, you know, once you live out your fate, as Carl Jung said, once you're dealing with your life, you know, fate doesn't come and slap you on the head um, because you're already dealing with it on an inner level. But it, it will bring you opportunities. And so I would just say, Karen, just be open to it, ask for it, say, send me the lightning bolt and see what happens. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Kathy, are there any particular days in August, you know, any particular, aside, I mean, aside from what you've said, you know, in general for the month, um, any particular moons or, or dates that or you know, kind of red letter that we should uh, be watching for? Or? Well, on Sunday, this Sunday is the full moon, and... Um, and so once again, it's that whole idea of how do we give our, our artistry away to the collective without feeling as if someone will steal it. At, um, at the full moon, um, the planet um, Saturn, which is in Scorpio, will be at a 90-degree angle to this full moon. So basically, it says you will be afraid to share your creativity if you haven't gotten over old emotional issues around betrayal. Um, around um, intimacy. So it's a fear of sharing, okay? So if you've done the work um, on on yourself and you're not afraid, like I used to write movies and I still do sometimes in stories, and um, I wrote a movie and sent it out and then something came up and my daughter who had read it and said, they stole your idea. I said, well, they didn't steal my movie. They they took an idea of mine and they had read my script, but you can't say it was stealing it. No one can ever steal my story. I made it up. But ideas are free. So part of it is to be able to just, you know, be happy that whatever the idea is is out there and do everything you can if you love that idea to um, push it out more into the, into the collective consciousness. Um, okay. There is a new moon later on this month. It's in Virgo, but I don't have my ephemeris with me because I am at my class and I didn't bring my books. Um, but we'll talk about the new moon probably in September and then the full the harvest moon then. But the big thing is this full moon is what they call a super moon. It's at the closest point to the Earth. So it's going to look very big, okay, just like last year, last month's full moon. Um, so... Uh, it's it's happening on sun in Pacific time at about 11 a.m. on Sunday, and so that would be about 2 p.m. on the East Coast. But um, the night before, it should be big and beautiful, and just go take a moon bath. It's a wonderful mm. night for a moon bath, you know. Absolutely. And um, and see what the, what the great goddess, the moon, tells us. The moon is all about reflection and about awareness and. Um, more so sometimes even than the sun, <laughs> because we get our, our words measure and reflection and memory and dreams from the word, the ancient word for moon. So without the moonlight, we wouldn't have that reflective capacity. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, and, and we're all going to be out there uh, uh, Sunday night uh, under that moon. Uh, it should be a pretty spectacular night. Oh, I think we lost her again. 
Um, I'm not sure what sort of problem she is having. Um, we'll have to see if uh, she calls back because uh, we are close to the end. Uh, oh, here she is again. I keep getting a, I guess there might be a lot of sunspots. So I'm going to say goodbye. I will see you, um, Karen, out at the Sekhmet Temple. Okay. Well, before you go, Kathy, just real quick, let people know about your, your book and how they can reach you if they want you to do a reading or maybe do their chart. Okay. Um, yes. My website is um, wisdomofastrology.com. You have to put dashes in the middle of wisdom-of-astrology.com or look up Kathy Pagano, Pagan with an O, Kathy with a C. Um, I think Karen has my website on your what, site. And um, and my book on the, on the woman clothed with the sun is about Lady Wisdom. It's called Wisdom's Daughters how women can change the world. And we are going to change the world, sisters out there. I know we are. Okay. Well, Kathy, thank you so very much uh, for tonight. And I look forward to seeing you this weekend and sharing this, so, uh, this very important event uh, with you and the other women out there. And, uh, and we will uh, have you back soon. Okay. Take care. Have a good evening. Okay. Yeah, you have a great class. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. Bye. Okay, well, uh, we are about to get to uh, to our guests, uh, and uh, I, I see they are on the switchboard, uh, Mark and Patricia, and uh, if they want to just give me a bit of a minute here, uh, I have a word from Joe Carson and uh, Dancing with Gaia. Most people's psychic experiences are dreaming, and it's thought that it's the pineal gland making this chemical that does it. Now, this was the core finding core finding that the pineal gland makes a hallucinogen, we all hallucinate, we all go into a state of consciousness that for me is the collective unconscious. The psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet, what's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Because all peoples, all races, all tribes from the past and right around the world have myths and legends which use symbols and archetypes which are identical. Identical. Every human being experiences this state of consciousness, which is the dream mind. That symbolic, archetypal, exemplified by fairy tales, or the creation myths and legends of all the different peoples. The symbols of them are the same, and to me that is the consciousness of the earth speaking to us. with Dancing with Gaia, and um, Dancing with Gaia is uh, a great documentary that talks about uh, the earth energies and sacred sexuality and uh, how to connect with all of that. Uh, it's really great for someone, uh, not just a newbie to all of this, but someone who uh, maybe even has still been into it for a bit. Um, it's, it's beautiful, it's informative, and it's filled with uh, uh, lots of visionaries and scholars um, who are sharing their wisdom. So, uh, Joe Carson, DancingWithGaia.com, a great DVD and uh, a booklet, that 45-page uh, book, 
that uh, that uh, comes with the DVD. Uh, you won't uh, you won't want to miss it. And uh, I hope you will uh, stay tuned in with me for my What's the Buzz segment uh, after tonight's uh, interview. I'd like to tell you about those bees buzzing around in my bonnet. Uh, but I think uh, our guests uh, are with us. Let me just double check. Uh, hi, is this uh, Mark and Patricia? Hey. Hi, we're here. Okay, great. Uh, thanks for calling in. Uh, let me just tell guests a little bit about you both before we uh, jump in with our topic tonight. Uh, Mark Michaels and Patricia Johnson are a devoted married couple, and uh, they're holders of a traditional tantric lineage. They have been creative collaborators, teaching and writing about sexuality and tantra together uh, since 1999. Michaels and Johnson are the authors of Great Sex Made Simple, Tantra for Erotic Empowerment, and The Essence of Tantric Sexuality. Their books have garnered numerous awards, and they're also the creators of the meditation CD set, Ananda Nidra Blissful Sleep. So, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Hi, thanks for having us. Um, well, I, I, I'm really interested in speaking to you two tonight. Um, we had talked about uh, the topic was going to be secrets of spiritual romance, feel, uh, falling in love every day. And um, I don't know, I, I guess, you know, that's sort of what keeps us getting up and, uh, you know, getting up in the morning, uh, don't you think? Uh, you know, the hope that uh, our lives are going to be fulfilling. I mean, it certainly isn't... Um, for most of us, getting up and going to work, I don't, I don't think that's what really motivates us every day. If uh, you know, we're sort of just punching a clock. Yeah, absolutely. And and that you hit on something that we think is very important is to not think of your relationships as uh, something to work on. So don't use the item work, but rather think of something uh, your relationships as something you're eager to nurture. Like, like a garden with a plant. Right. I mean, most people, when they talk about, you know, they talk about their relationships and they do tend to talk about them like they're punching a clock, and especially when, when things have gotten a little bit, uh, well, stale or, or worse, and then all of a sudden they say, we need to work on our relationship. We're so much more long, about um, You know, there's there's some sort of strange sound in the background um, when you're talking. I'm, I'm not sure. Are you on Skype or something like that? It is, uh, can you hear it as well? Yeah. You know, it, uh, we're in a hotel room and we're on Skype. Uh, the only sound that we're hearing other than you is our uh, air conditioner, which I will go turn off and we'll see if that's any better. So I'll okay. be right back. All right. Yeah, okay. So- yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that's. I'm not sure that's what it is. I think it. I, I recognize it as a Skype sound, but we'll 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 try to you know we'll we'll try to just keep going anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, so thank you so much for working with us. We're actually in Canada tonight, so that's why we had to go by Skype. Okay, um, so Patricia, tell me how long have you and uh, you and Mark been together? We've been together since 1999, um, and we actually got together to practice Tantra. And um, actually, we soon realized how powerful the practices were um, because we quickly fell in love. So, <laughs> and we've so written it, four it, books so it was a lo- and, 
So it is uh, so it was a love story. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Not a conventional one, but definitely a love story. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, um, it we seems... did get together. Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. I, I was saying that we could get together without the, uh, either one of us thinking that it was going to turn into uh, a life partnership, which it has become, and that's the power of the practices, really. Okay. So from your talking points, it seems like there are uh, certain ideas that you feel uh, you want to punctuate. Uh, adventure, knowing yourself, reverence, awareness, taboo breaking. Um, where would you like to start? Wow. That, I mean, yes, that, there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, boy, how would you start? I, I'm thinking I think adventure. Adventure? Yeah. Okay. Adventure. So we like to think of a relationship and and a, an erotic partnership as an adventure, as something that you engage in mutually with your partner, that you, you make this decision that your whole life together is going to be an exploration, that there's always a possibility, even if you've been together for many, many years, to discover something new in each other. And to approach every day and every interaction is really an opportunity to learn something and to be surprised. So would you say that most people, um, when it comes to their sex life, this you know that's not necessarily how they're brought up approaching it. Right. I mean, we're brought up, our culture is so goal-oriented, and it's so focused on, on end results, and, and people miss the journey. People miss the possibility of being surprised. People think when they're in long-term relationships, both sexually and more, more broadly, that, oh, I know this person, I've been with them for 10 years, 15 years, and can't possibly surprise me. And that has much more to do with, with prejudices than it does with reality. Well, but, but I think what I was thinking about, too, is, um, you know, there's so many people who have these taboos. You know, religion has really sort of put their boot on the neck of people when it comes to sex. I mean, so many people think, well, sex is just for procreation. Um, you know, s sacred sexuality is unheard of, even, to some people. So, you know, so, so really there's a lot of education to do, I think, uh, when it comes to uh, having a healthy sex life. Absolutely, yes. And, and I think people need to feel empowered personally about how they, they experience their sexuality. And really, uh, it takes a lot of courage to move away from received wisdom, the, the culture that you were raised in, um, the religion, um, sort of religious aspects that are sort of layered on top of you. And there is just a lot of wonderful empowerment to be found in self-discovery and really claiming your sexual self for your, you know, for your life. And even outside of the realm of religion, I mean, we're, we're so convinced that 
the text in some filthy, nasty, dirty, and you should only do it with something that you and that's a really you know conflicted message that we all get from the time we're we're little kids, and so we have to find ways to break out of that and really embrace and and own our sexual selves. Well, and you know, I'm all I'm thinking too. Uh, I mentioned at the opening of the show, you know, there were there were a few things I, I was curious <clears throat> to ask you about, and um, you know, I, I, I'm thinking back to like even the Victorian times, you know, on the subject of of taboos and you know how we're so censored and rigid and. Um, you know, and, and in Victoria times, uh, Victorian times, wasn't there even a, a diagnosis? I mean, they would diagnose women with hysteria, and uh, I, I mean, it, it, is that anything that you've that you've researched? Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> we actually have a collection of antique vibrators, and we're we're very familiar with with the whole history of the vibrator, which actually originated in the Victorian era. As a well, I mean, stories have been around since this time immemorial. Vibrator as a, as a tool was because in the Victorian era, doctors would actually treat quote hysteria in their female patients by stimulating them uh, until they had an orgasm, and this was called at the time a hysterical paroxysm. And they they developed the vibrator really to ease their own uh, repetitive motion injuries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because the the wrist action was probably you know it, it would be like a uh, carpal tunnel or something like that. Right, exactly. Absolutely, and yeah, if you had several patients that day, it would be quite tedious, so to say, right? So, so, so kind of paint a picture for me because you know I'm imagining and and and, and please correct me if I'm if I'm assuming any of this incorrectly, but obviously these women um, now and and look and I'm not even going to make a judgment about whether they were single or married. It doesn't make any difference because they were both entitled to you know to pleasure to release. Um, you know, so that must mean that the women of this time didn't know anything about masturbation or they weren't being taken care of by their husbands or lovers, that they had to resort to this kind of thing. Was it, was this so taboo then? I mean, were, did women not do this? I, I, I mean, I, you have to fill me in. I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> well, Historically, what happened, if you kind of look at the history of sexuality in, in the Western world, um, prior to the Victorian era or, or maybe a little before that, women were seen as being kind of uh, creatures of uncontrollable lust and seductresses and wanton, and men were believed to be the, the people who had the lower sex drive, and they would only be led astray by women. What happened in the Victorian era was all of a sudden there was an idea that women were virginal, women were naturally chaste, and women didn't have sexuality. And so you had this enormous cultural suppression that happened in the 19th century. As a result of that, of course, women suffered, women were, nobody was supposed to masturbate back then. You know, they had devices for, for boys as well. And circumcision actually became a practice in 19th century America outside of religious realm because it was supposed to inhibit masturbation. So across the board, there was 
expression. That's Shabbat And so it's kind of ironic that this this bizarre metric is sort of urged to deal with the consequences of these cultural attitudes that existed at the time. So the idea, all right, so, so the doctor, um, you know, helps a woman achieve an orgasm by use of a vibrator. And I, I guess I'm wondering how they looked at that. I mean, was it, was it kind of a nod, nod, wink, wink thing? Or did they really think that they had just performed some sort of medical procedure? I believe it was a medical procedure um, when the uh, short uh, circuits the mind before it can be critical over the physical even Sometimes the orgasm happens before someone can even have a judgment about it. Patricia, Mark, I have to I have to tell you. Um, I, excuse me, I have to tell you the sound quality is so bad, um, and I and I know you've gone out of your way to get Skype in your hotel room and all of this, and I feel really bad, but I, I I'm not hearing half of what you're saying. I mean, half of your words are being cut off, and we're just not getting. Um, you know, it, it, we we just can't hear you. Um, I'm I'm wondering if you might not want to, you know, have us reschedule this another time because it's an interesting subject. I mean, I think my listeners would really like to hear it, but this isn't working. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to come off invincible, and and we'd love to do you a topic, and what we've been talking about is great. So um, let's definitely try and reschedule it. Apologies, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, and you're at seven, you're in seven one eight. We're in Manhattan too, so um, or so in, we're in Westchester. We're in Westchester, New York, normally. So um, if we could, yeah, reschedule that would be wonderful. Um, I'm so okay. sorry if this is. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's plan to do yeah. that because honestly, um, you're 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 breaking up so badly. I don't think my listeners can understand you, and I don't think they'll stay tuned in because um, it, it, they're I, I, they're just not able to comprehend what, what's coming from your side. So, um, so thank you for for trying. I mean, you you get a you know a, a, an A plus for effort tonight but let's let's just maybe plan to to reschedule this okay okay let's do that and, and our apologies i don't know what's going on uh, okay. obviously we don't want all right well i'll i'll get in touch with your publicist and and we'll get you on when you're back home and your communication is normal and you're not having to you know rely on Skype in a in a hotel room but thank you anyway have a have a good trip and uh, we'll be back in touch and, and get you on another time. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. All Have right. You. Thank you so much. Well, listeners, I apologize for that, but uh, we do have some other things to get to tonight, so uh, I hope you'll stay with me. And I No, that wasn't any kind of weird interference. That was uh, that was the bees buzzing around in my bonnet. Um, and tonight, uh, what's the buzz segment? I'd like to share with you uh, two audio outtakes. 
uh, from my interview in the documentary Femme, Women Healing the World. Uh, you'll hear what got left on the cutting room floor, which I think was actually pretty good. You know, there just wasn't room to put all the good stuff we all said in the film. Uh, as it is, it, uh, you know, it's, it's an hour and a half. Um, and um, I, I would love to hear what you think. So please uh, email me and let me know after you hear the outtakes. And in case I forget uh, to mention it, uh, please remember you can uh, download the film Sam, Women Healing the World. Uh, you can either get it from my website, uh, KarenTate.com, or you can just Google Fem the movie. Uh, either way, um, and uh, it, it's such an important film, and I would really encourage you to show it to your friends. And as I said earlier, maybe consider having um, uh, having a movie night. So um, here's the first one. Uh, let you hear it, and then I'm going to chat with you a bit about uh, some comments from Supreme Court Justice uh, uh, Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg and the inspiration that I got from a lunch meeting with a woman friend. But first, uh, here's an outtake from Sam. And that's going to start in just a couple seconds here. Well, yeah, I've had a one-sided view of the divine. And the reason we've had a one-sided view of the divine is because the myths that uh, our society lives by are the myths that only speak about a male god, when, in fact, a goddess has been around for 30, 30 or 40,000 years. Uh, we can look to the artifacts. We can look to the archaeological sites. We can look to the textiles. We can look to the myths. But, you know, because religion is about power and politics, uh, the sacred feminine has sort of been swept beneath the sands of time. And uh, the mythology of goddess uh, has been uh, obscured purposefully uh, because this is all about um, uh, uplifting uh, the patriarchy as opposed to um, having a balanced society where you have the attributes of the feminine and the masculine uh, in control in society. So when you consider that uh, one person's myth is another person's religion, uh, and, and when that myth is um, dominated by a male guide, well, then you have male leadership uh, that, that predominates in society. So as a result, women have been subjugated, and goddesses uh, become our role models. They become our archetypes. So when we only have a male guide that, that is at the center of society, well, that sets the male gender up to be the leader of the society, and, and that's then um, subjugates women to sort of a second-class supporting role rather than a partnership, rather than uh, an equal role where they are, uh, in a sense, um, you know, looking over humankind together or men and women or uh, leading and ruling together. Okay, so that was an uh, outtake from Femme, uh, Women Healing the World. Um, think that was some useful information. Maybe it's um, information um, that you haven't heard before or maybe haven't heard said in that way. 
So uh, the other thing I wanted to share in the What's the Buzz segment uh, were some comments uh, from Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And, you know, this all sort of, uh, you know, fits together. You know, I, I think the outtake sort of sets the, sets the tone. Um, on August 4th, um, this was in the New York Times, and uh, the the columnist uh, who wrote uh, this article was Adam Liptak, and the article was Justices' Rulings Advanced Gaze, Women Less So. And uh, Adam Liptak goes on to talk about uh, uh, Justice uh, Bader Ginsburg and says, when Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg reflects on the Supreme Court's recent ruling, she sees an inconsistency. In its gay rights ruling, she told the law school audience last week, the court uses the soaring language of equal dignity and has endorsed the fundamental values of liberty and equality. Indeed, a court that just three decades ago allowed criminal prosecutions for gay sex now speaks with sympathy for gay families and seems on the cusp of embracing a constitutional right to same-sex marriage. But in cases involving gender, she said, the court has never fully embraced the ability of women to decide for themselves what their destiny will be. She said the court's five-justice conservative majority, all men, did not understand the challenges women face in achieving authentic equality. Justice Ginsburg is not the only one who has said that cases involving gay people and women are on different trajectories. Gay men and lesbians still have a long way to go before they achieve the formal equality that women have long enjoyed, but they've made stunning progress at the Supreme Court over the last decade, gaining legal protection for sexual intimacy and unconventional families with stirring language unimaginable a generation ago. But at the same time, legal scholars say the court has delivered blows to women's groups in cases involving equal pay, medical leave, abortion, and contraception, culminating in a furious dissent last month from the court's three female members. So going from the FEM clip, you know, we talk about... um, We have male leadership and women are subjugated in a society where the primary mythology shows a male god. And we see a direct correlation, uh, you know, to how that is, you know, how we, how our lives are affected uh, in everyday life. And I don't think um, all women understand that. I don't think uh, they all connect the dots. So, how is that connected uh, to lunch I had with a woman I know? The fem clip, what, what's been happening at the Supreme Court, which the women on the Supreme Court obviously see, and the lunch I had with a friend recently. Well, you know, maybe if you're a listener to the show, you know I'm a strong advocate for women's rights and trying to get ideals of the sacred feminine seeded and growing in our culture. So you might imagine it's hard for me to see women complicit in their own oppression, women not caring so much to understand what's going on out there in the world, detaching themselves almost from politics that affect women's lives, workers' lives, the life of Mother Earth. Some of us call these women uh, either conscious or unconscious handmaidens of the patriarchy. 
you know, I try to understand these women, like the one I had lunch with. I took the time to have lunch, thinking we'd have a meaningful conversation, exchange ideas, maybe we'd inspire each other. But we kind of talked past each other, never really connecting, never really resonating with each other. I was curious what she thought about some of today's headlines, you know, what was happening in Israel, Palestine, the Supreme Court's Hobby Lobby ruling, how uh, how abortion clinics are being closed in red states across the country. I mean, I was really looking forward to just digging into all of that. And, you know, she turned out to be a very one-dimensional, single-minded woman, very nice woman, but, you know, we just couldn't talk about those things. Um, she responded by telling me she doesn't tune in to that kind of news. And it felt as if she were almost proud of the fact Um you know, she said she'd been busy the last few years connecting with the feminine, playing her drum, writing her music. Well, you know, I, I kind of bit my tongue. I, I didn't want to argue. I, 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 I didn't ask, well, does one have to be exclusive of the other? Uh, can't you be in the feminine and still know, what, know what's going on in the world? Can't you have an opinion and know enough to have a conversation, even if it's just to ask a question? Well, I wanted to say, you know, how do you know who to vote for? How do you know what's going on with the status of women? I I wanted to ask if she cared. So, you know, I went home after that lunch, you know, a bit demoralized. Um, You know, she was just one woman, uh, but I'd met many like her on Facebook, in the community, women in my family even. At first I, I was kind of annoyed and thought to myself, you know, why do I bother fighting for women's rights when... Some women, they don't seem to care about their own rights. When they seem to want to go through life like, I hate to say it, but, you know, you might think of it as, you know, like irresponsible children avoiding their civic responsibility, you know, or their their duty to themselves, their, their duty to their gender. Well, you know, I molded it over and over. Then I started thinking back to when I was just like them. I wasn't always a social justice activist, but coming to God of spirituality, you know, that helped me evolve. I started connecting the dots between spirituality and politics. And once that connection was made, for me at least, helping change the world was more important than all the trivial topics of daytime television sedating the minds of women. You know, I'll admit I wasn't always intellectually curious about political science, anthropology, sociology, but when I started understanding that our mythology shapes our culture, that mythology has a direct connection to how women earn their salary in the workforce, well, you know, I was a woman in the workforce. I'm still a woman in the workforce. I'm not a Stepford wife. I'm not a trophy wife married to a rich husband, you know, who has the um, you know, who, who can scrapbook all day or who spends their day at the spa or being a, a consumer, uber consumer, or shopping on Rodeo Drive, getting my nails done. You know, uh, I care about discrimination in the workplace. I care about domestic violence. I care about female genital mutilation. I care that some women, you know, don't have access to abortion in their, uh, in their states anymore and all the rest. Well, there's a quote here um, that I want to share with you. It comes from a man, a feminist man, I, I, I assume. Uh, 
He says, his name is David Weiss. He says, I am convinced that the way we image and gender God affects the way we value gender among humans. A God who is always portrayed as male does harm girls and women by suggesting that the most holy and whole person is male. It absolutely gives femaleness a second-class value. I wanted my daughter to know in her imagination, which is where our deepest truths reside, that she too was fully in the image of God. That's David Weiss. Well, we would probably say goddess, but, you know, he gets it. He knows. So what do we do about these women who just don't care to dip their toes into the messy world of politics? It's not pretty. It's messy. It's like making sausage. It's, it can be demoralizing. You know, it, uh, you know, it feels like most of the time it's one step forward, two steps back. You know, what do we think about these women who are oblivious and, and maybe they vote for Republicans who want to keep them in the dark ages? Do these women care they're devalued? Do they know they're devalued? Do they know they're second class? Or has this all been normal for so long that it goes right over their head? Are they trading wholeness and equality? Because in some instances, maybe some of them are well taken care of? Well, you know, maybe some of the rich ones, but they can't be the majority of women out there, especially, you know, uh, the majority of women who vote for the GOP. Well, you know, recently I even saw there was a group of women in the South uh, picketing somewhere with signs saying they weren't claiming to be feminists because they weren't victims. Really? They think being a feminist is akin to being a victim? Somehow in their thinking, naming inequality, calling it out, uh, calling out the bullies who perpetrate injustice and inequality and oppression trying to do something about it, in their mind, makes women victims. (laughs) Well, you know, that's like saying hunting down a murderer for his crime makes the police department and the legal system victims. This twisted logic coming from women saddened me once again. I guess they don't know it's feminists who are fighting for them to have a more caring and sharing world while they fight to keep the status quo, where women are devalued in society. I guess they don't know it's feminists who are trying to keep women's rights to their bodies. These handmaidens don't see the harm they're doing girls by calling this social justice activism being a victim any more than the women who don't understand only having a male god is so damaging to women and to girls. If only we could wake up all the women. It reminds me of the saying, I think it might be a Chinese proverb. There are several very similar versions. When sleeping women wake, mountains move. When sleeping women wake, mountains move. Time to awaken to your call inside. 
Well, those were the bees buzzing around in my bonnet tonight, and I um, I welcome your response. I, I definitely do, even if you are listening to this from the archives and you uh, you hear it a month from now or a year from now. I welcome your input. I really want to know what you think. I want to know if you have similar frustrations. I want to know how you deal with running into women who are not helping us very much, to women who don't really understand what we're talking about. How do you manage? Well, um, you know, I've said it before. I I will say it again. Sometimes I feel like PBS. So let me know uh, you are enjoying the show and uh, that you don't want it to go away. Uh, I hope you will click the follow button on the show page. I hope you will share the show with friends on Facebook and other social media. Let me hear from you. And I want to give a shout-out to Pat for her, for her continued uh, sending of uh, great uh, emails and good ideas and headlines, uh, all of which I never can manage to get to, but uh, I try. And a shout-out to Chris. Uh, she emailed me thanking me for reposting my interview with our recently departed foremother, Margot Adler. Here's what Chris said. Uh, she said, I just finished listening to to it, she means the uh, interview with Margot Adler, and your perspective and thorough interview reminded me of everything I loved about Margot. I met her in 1973 at a science fiction writer's workshop in Seattle. She was the first pagan person I had ever known, and she willingly answered my questions about the subject, about which I was increasingly curious. When I found the Budapest Little Shop in Venice, the feminist Wicca, it felt like coming home. I wrote about it to Margot, and she quoted my letter in the first edition of Drawing Down the Moon. Over the years, we kept in touch as I traveled the goddess path. More recently, I emailed her after reading her vampire book, and she answered less than a month before she died. Her untimely death has hit me hard. I feel as if there's a black hole in my universe. Listening to your hour-long conversation with Margot has helped a lot. Thank you for sharing it with us. You're a good interviewer. Well, thank you, Chris. Thank you for uh, letting me know that uh, you know you enjoyed it, and um, and having the interview in the archives uh, makes a difference to you. It, I know it sure makes a difference to me. We have lost so many of our foremothers recently, and knowing we can always pull up their interview and hear their voice, whether it's uh, Reverend Lorian Vignier, um, you know, Lady Lorient, or uh, it's Pat Monahan, or, uh, you know, any of the other women, uh, you know, Margot Adler and some of the others. Uh, we know they're there in the archives. We can, we can always pull up their picture on the Internet, and we can listen to their voice. It will never go away. Uh, but it is a lot of hard work uh, doing this show every week, year in and year out. Um, and I just want to say, listeners, if, if the show means a lot to you, I hope you will show your appreciation and support by either sending a donation to help keep Voices of the Sacred Feminine on the air or help me by buying one of my books. 
uh, either from me or wherever you can get it new. Because uh, you know what? Buying used books doesn't help me at all. But by all means, if that's all you can afford, I totally, totally, totally understand. I would rather you get the message between the two covers than not. But if you would like to help support me in the show, um, a donation or a purchase of my book or a review of my book, um, all that's great stuff. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Because remember, as, as we say in Goddess Spirituality, girls compete and women empower. So we are here to try to empower one another and share our messages. So I hope you'll go to my website at karentate.com and order a book uh, or get it from your local bookseller. <clears throat> because, you know, Amazon is putting most booksellers out of business. And uh, that's another thing, a hard reality we have to be aware of. Uh, buy there only if you have no other option. Um, I was really reading recently that they are about ready to put another nail in the coffin, uh, that Amazon might start offering a deal where readers can access 500,000 500, titles for $10 a month. What is that going to do to publishing and to authors? It's, uh, it's going to really destroy an already dying book publishing industry. But, you know, we shall prevail one way or another. Um, anyway, Goddess Calling, my latest book that came out in April, it's for individuals or group inspiration. It helps connect the dots between the importance of goddess spirituality, politics, and social issues of the day. I think you kind of get the idea from my What's the Buzz segment tonight. So uh, as I wrap up yet another show, uh, I have my second audio outtake from Fem Women Healing the World that I will play for you. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, as I said before, uh, I hope you will um, let me hear what you think. So here is outtake two from, uh, of, from Fem uh, Women Healing the World. Here it goes. Um, well, I, I think we, we have to really give ourselves permission to rethink everything. Uh, we have to rethink our religion. We have to rethink our politics. You know, very long ago, uh, you know, things shifted away from the idea of, uh, of us valuing nature. And let's face it, you know, goddess is nature. And as a result of us uh, being told that uh, nature is evil, uh, you know, women and their bodies and sexuality, that's all become a taboo subject uh, rather than something sacred like it used to be. Um, we have to rethink that. Um, we have to, you know, rethink what we value in the world. Uh, are we going to value a big bank account? Uh, or are we going to value what we contribute to society, how we are in service to each other? And I think, you know, with patriarchy and, um, and capitalism, it's all about competition. And that means there has to be winners and losers. But if we look for ways to collaborate, collaborate, if we look for ways to be in partnership with one another, whether it's your friend or whether it's uh, you know, a corporation or whether it's another country, uh, the world would be a much more uplifted and evolved place less likely to end in war, less likely to end in 
um, you know, one, uh, you know, country or corporation, you know, being dominated by another and uh, the suffering that results from that. Uh, we've, we've seen so much militarism, colonialism, uh, you know, all of these isms, the, you know, the sexism, the homophobia, you know, all of these different things that, um, you know, that, that start with religion and move through politics, move through traditions, move through society, and, and shape how we do things. We have to have the courage to shed light on um, how this all began, how uh, what was normal got turned on its head, and sort of right things so that, you know, we're, we're in a place of balance. You know, it used to be the ancient Egyptians talked to us about, um, you know, they were, they were so afraid of things being out of balance because once things went out of balance, we would have chaos. Well, the world is out of balance. It started with a gender imbalance where it was the masculine over the feminine, and we just had an imbalance, uh, you know, throughout history, whether it be one, you know, one country and power over another or the rich over the poor or whites dominating blacks. There's always this dominator model where, uh, you know, someone's always trying to climb on somebody else's shoulders to get ahead. Well, we need to think more of, about level playing fields. We need to think more about an egalitarian society where there's equality, where there's justice, um, where, where there's truth, where there's freedom. And actually, the, you know, there are goddesses in their mythology that help us lead the way, that provide a template for us to um, embrace these sort of ideals in society. Well, I think you're getting the message. It's all about awakening our sisters, because when women awake, the mountains will move. Well, good night, my dear listeners. Thank you for uh, tuning in. Thank you for uh, staying with me during my uh, extended What's the Buzz segment tonight. And uh, I hope to hear from you soon. Uh, Have a wonderful weekend. I hope you're enjoying your summer. And I will leave you with the long version of Alea Deo's Awaken. Here it goes. Enjoy. you